and welcome to the White Girl Awakening podcast. I'm Lauren Sellers, and White Girl Awakening is a community dedicated to curiosity, listening, and learning from our neighbors. In this season of the podcast, we are so honored to be partnering with our friends, Paula Danielle and Cherish Faith. Paula serves at Forest Hill Church, a multi-site congregation, as an associate pastor. She also consults with various organizations around issues regarding race, culture, and curating personal and organizational transformation. Her daughter, Cherish Faith, is a freshman at UNC Pembroke and is passionate about justice. We cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation, so let's dive in. So we're back in the studio. Lauren Sellers and Jen Barnes here with White Girl Awakening. It's really good to be back. The last time we were in studio was almost six months ago, and hopefully the White Girl Awakening audience has been enjoying some of the content that came out of that. Um, Lauren and I were discussing earlier, and I think this is a good segue into the new series that we're going to be unveiling here shortly. Um, But we just kind of re, we wanted to do a rewind and for the, those of you in the audience who are recently joining us and maybe haven't been around since the inception, we wanted to rephrase White Girl Awakening to you just to let you know a little bit about us and what has driven us uh, to create this community uh, that has really just become so beautiful. But I think for me, and, and Lauren, I want you to chime in, because we're so similar in so many ways, even though I'm a little bit ahead of you in age, but we were raised very similarly in a very kind of Southern country, small town way, so many beautiful things uh, about our upbringing and development of faith. Um, And one of the things that's so similar is we've always had, since the inception really of our faith um, development, which was really rooted in this evangelistic culture um, to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, There were aspects of that as important as it was within the culture of faith that we grew up in um, that didn't seem to encompass the fullness of what I just naturally felt drawn to. And it may have just been a wiring or it could have been something that God was igniting in my heart for later on. Um, But I always had this fascination with understanding what made people tick. And it could be anybody, myself included. Um, And then understanding why people behaved the way they behaved and also how they experienced the world. Because clearly, uniquely, we're all different and unique creatures. God has created us to all be unique individually. And then he's given us, obviously, these diverse cultures um, that have converged over the last few years, specifically in the United States, um, almost to a a boiling point um, in some instances. But really, White Girl Awakening is an extension of, for both of us, the growth of this curiosity to understand how God uniquely created individuals and collective cultures to function and really what makes them tick. But you were telling me a story earlier, and I I really want you to tell the community this story because I think it further expounds on what I'm talking about. 
yeah, so psychology is so important to me. And I felt this calling to missions. And so I wanted to study psychology so that I could better understand people so I could point them to God. And what has shifted in learning psychology has been that instead I've learned that by better understanding other people, I can better understand God. Mm. And growing up, I was super involved in missions. I believed with all my heart in the Great Commission, which I still do. It just looks different. And I wanted to spend my life on that. So obviously the thing you do is go on a foreign mission trip. And I just had this memory every time I step on a plane of 13-year-old Lauren encountering the neighbor sitting next to her on the plane and thinking, if I don't evangelize to him, what is going to happen to him? And today, as I sat next to the guy sitting next to me on the plane, instead my heart, heart asked me, what am I missing out of? out on what am I missing out on if I don't engage him Mm. not that I have something to share with him but what piece of God does he have to share with me Mm. and in I'm an introvert I didn't engage and as I walked off the plane I thought man I might have missed out on understanding more about God because I wasn't willing to engage and better understand him so I think that's the shift for all of us that as Christians, we so desire to understand God and we so desire to help other people understand God. But what if it is in our understanding of each other, if in growing that, that is the be- one of the best ways to understand who God is? So good. Isn't that so beautiful? I mean, to come to the understanding that that was actually the Jesus model. And when you look at the greatest command, which is part of the Great Commission and the fulfillment of it, um, to love your neighbor as yourself. I study psychology too. That's part of why you and I have deep, long conversations and and connect in so many ways. I studied it to understand myself first and foremost. (laughs) I came, um, I studied it in college and I came out of my teenage years into young adulthood with a lot of wounds And I thought, man, if I can just figure myself out, maybe I won't be ruined, you know, for the rest of my life. And then maybe in the process of figuring myself out, I might be able to extend that to others in the future. Um, And I think what I found in this journey of trying to understand how to love myself and how to appreciate the unique ways that I'm wired that some people may not understand or, or see as beneficial or useful, um, I was actually able to build an empathy for the uniqueness of other people and then an appreciation for engaging other people who are different than me. And then it grew into this insatiable desire to never stop doing that. And it started to look a whole lot like sanctification. And I thought, man, as I, as I grew deeper and deeper into that methodology almost of becoming curious and learning people so that you could love them better, which is the fulfillment of the greatest command. Um, I, I felt like 
something about the gospel clicked in a new way in my late 20s when I'd been raised in the church all these years um, that had never clicked before. And as I, I moved into my 30s and engaged this work deeper, and then we ended up where we did in 2020, I felt like there was this great need for us to revisit the the greatest commandment in light of how we approach the gospel and evangelism. And so really, I think, you know, that's where White Girl Awakening was birthed, is, is the vein in which we do it in. There, there's a certain posture that comes with understanding that when we learn our neighbor, we learn God deeper, and, and he gets really big, a lot bigger. Um, and so we want to share that with others. So I have in the studio with me Cherish and Paula of the Listen Movement. Hey. Hi, everyone. Hi. And we are, we've partnered with you guys to do a series called, and I'm going to let Paula jump in and, and announce it because she's worked so hard on it. I'm so excited. So excited to be here with you, Jen, and with Lauren. Uh, White Girl Awakening, and to to talk about how we see God better when we see our neighbors. Mm. This is, I believe, a critical conversation in this time. And uh, for women, it is critical, I think, because historically, women have been our own worst enemy. Amen. Nobody feuds against each other like women. Like, men get into it, they duke it out. And it's over. That's it. <laughs> Women get into it, and it is a, like, we pass it down from Ooh. generation to generation. We carry that in our bodies. <laughs> like the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> it ain't going nowhere, right? And and the way the history of our country mm. has put a, like, a, a, a exponential enmity, an exponential disdain mm. between black and white women. And wow. I, I think that that was intentional of the enemy because what he did was he took women who were second class, period, and then with this survival of the fittest mentality, white women had the upper hand in race. So it was like, well, if we can't be first, at least we don't have to be last, mm. right? And so with the with the uh, with the transatlantic slave tra- trade and African women and men being brought to um, the what would become uh, the United States of America would, was brought to the colonies. Um, then we see this this feud happen historically and generationally between black women and white women, and so. Jen, you and I were having a conversation one day uh, really about what I wanted people to hear. What did I want them to listen to? And at that point, and there's so many ways listen can go, but at that point, I was really interested in the sisters hearing what the sisters had to say. I, I I felt like I had so many white women in my life, in my circle, in my sphere of influence that had so many questions about black women 
and I, I've been a black woman for 41 years, so <laughs> you know a little something <laughs> so about it. I know it. a little something. I know a little something <laughs> about what black women think. But black women, we talk about later. Um, we'll talk about it later. Is black women are not monolithic. Mm. And so we had to bring some other voices to the table to talk from sister to sister, from black woman to white woman. What do we want white women to know? So that's what we're here to do. We're excited about it. I'm so excited about it. And I value both of you so much. And I've learned so much from each of you. Your minds are brilliant. Um, Your energy is just wears me out. It runs circles (laughs) around me. (laughs) Um, but I'm so excited to be doing this. I think that actually came out of me asking a question. I, I think I asked you if there was something black women needed to hear us say. Mm. And we got on this conversation. Come on, Jen, take me back. <laughs> we got on this conversation <laughs> because I, I've learned through relationship and building deep relationship where there's a high level of trust. So I get to hear things that, I would normally be protected from, literally protected from, from some of my black sisters because there is a fragility within us that causes some of our black sisters to even hold back their pain from us because we can't handle their pain. And so I, through learning some of this and growing a deeper and deeper love to, towards my sisters, I, I had this uh, deep desire to want to know how to do better. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not something that we're going to automatically know. We have to have uncomfortable conversations and ask questions that we should already know the answers to sometimes, but we just haven't had the tools and the resources and the proximity to give us. So, so Jen, that, that, so that statement, we should already know the answers to. There is a sense of feeling like, we should already know. Yeah. And I think there's a sense of, um, of portraying on white women that they should already know. Here, here's, here's my issue with that. Like, like love and building bridges requires a two-way street. It requires someone being able to admit what they do not know, but it also requires the other side loving enough to teach. Mm. And I think one of one of my concerns, and I understand everybody does not have the capacity to walk in like the like they're dealing with their own trauma, dealing with their own things. I get that. So no, everybody cannot walk in this journey of reconciliation and awakening at the same degree. But everybody should be willing to teach somebody mm-hmm. if you are a Jesus follower. For me, that's what the Great Commission and the Great Commandment is about. It's not about sitting back and saying, I shouldn't be the one to have to say that. I shouldn't be the one to have to. Well, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Like, we all (laughs) inherited some stuff. Yeah. In, in In this mess of racism, we've all inherited some stuff. And while we were not the cause of it, we are all responsible with dealing with it. And so, um... White women, as you were saying, feel like there are some things they should know. And for me... There are some things white women cannot know unless black women say it. Because because no matter how close you get, until you are a black woman, there are some things you you cannot fundamentally experience. And and the only way you can know it is if somebody cares enough to share it with you. And so I'm hoping this provides a safe space to speak some things in love that says maybe you didn't know this, let me help you out. Yeah. 
And, and it, it's also, I want to add to that, that something I've learned is there are some experiences we'll never know. Yeah. Even though described and explained to us, but we can understand. Yes. And yes. believe the best about what we're being told. Yeah. We can believe, believe and yeah. understand and validate knowing that we'll never fully know the experience, but mm -hmm. even just knowing that we don't know, but then believing what you're told is, yeah. is a lot of progress and it's validating. It's a, it's a form of love. It is. It is. And that's not just a cultural tool. No, you can, that's necessary in every relationship because in we're every, all unique in every relationship from su supervisor to the, to the supervised parent, child, man, woman, like if you're going to love somebody else enough to value their experience, the least you can do is listen to their experience mm. and then believe it. But you can't say you love me and then you invalidate what I'm telling you is my truth. You, it's impossible. Can, can you we, say that again? You can't say you love me and then invalidate what I'm telling you is my truth. Ooh. You can't. Can we define that word truth real quick? Yeah. Because I, yeah, in the white it. community, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we like mm -hmm. to define truth as Jesus and the Bible. Yeah. And use that as an excuse for intellectual dishonesty and for invalidating other people's experiences. We yeah. might and have to so, define intellectual come dishonesty. Come on, come on. So this is a Lauren term. This, Lauren loves this term. I don't know if this is White real or not. I love this. Come on, come on, intellectual <laughs> We've dishonesty. It's a term now because <laughs> we use it all the time. I define it as unwillingness to be honest about the facts Ooh. and an unwillingness to do the research, go to the primary resources, and intellectually understand a problem because I think we – care so much about spiritual honesty that we are wow. unwilling that we are willing to be intellectually dishonest mm. but we cannot be spiritually honest if we're intellectually dishonest That's wow because how are we supposed to again. apply the gospel to a situation if we won't even be honest about the situation you can't lauren you can't and so when we define truth as just jesus or the gospel or the bible and say oh we're not going to deal with your truth. Wow. We lose the ability to apply the gospel to the truth of what is happening in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that and and then what is the gospel? Like, so, so I think we've given the gospel a very narrow definition because we're in denial about the truth. Yep. That's the thing. The gospel is Jesus' life and how it showed up to the oppressed. The gospel is Jesus's life and how it showed up to the to the one that was in prison. The gospel is Jesus's life and how it showed up to the one that was sick and who was marginalized. It's not just that Jesus lived, but it's how he lived. The woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus wasn't like, "You're not you're not experiencing shame right now. You should be He didn't go into all of that. He dealt with where she was at right then with Peter, when after Peter denied him 3 times, Peter wasn't like Jesus wasn't like that's not the truth. The truth is, you deny me. What are you feeling down about? Jesus dealt with Peter's inner truth. 
and, and gave him love to deal with it. So I think part of the issue, Lauren, is we're intellectually, intellectually dishonest because we have a narrow definition of what the gospel is. We have created a definition for the gospel that makes us comfortable in our experience, in our truth. And when you're sitting from a, a majority culture, then you get the privilege of relegating everyone else's mm. truth as a lie. Thanks so much for listening to the White Girl Awakening podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at White Girl Awakening. You can also continue learning from Paula Danielle and Cherish Faith by following them on Instagram at Paula underscore Danielle, two N's and two L's, and it's dot Cherish Faith. We cannot wait to continue learning together. so much for listening to the white girl awakening podcast if you enjoyed this conversation we would love for you to follow us on instagram and facebook at white girl awakening you can also continue learning from paula danielle and cherish faith by following them on instagram at paula underscore danielle two n's and two l's and it's dot cherish faith we cannot wait to continue learning together